Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comics. And I am joined by another grown man, a returning guest. Um, So if if you can introduce yourself, please, returning guest. Hi, um, I'm Austin Kelly. Um, Great to be here because I'm a big Carl Barks fan. Uh, Disney overall, Floyd Godfredson, Romano Scarpa. I was here a couple episodes back for No Such Varmint. And when we finished that one, I brought up, you know, I got to talk about Big Ben on Kill Motor Hill at some point. So that's when I'm here. We're back to talk about that one. It's a great story. We are, and it is indeed. Um, you mentioned it. Big Ben on Kill Motor Hill is an all-time classic, and we're going to be pairing it with another great money bin story today. We'll also be talking about the round money bin. So those, Austin, will be our two like official stories for this episode. But I definitely like to take some time at the end to think about other great stories by Barks and other creators that have the money bin playing a really pivotal role. And this should be a lot of fun because this this is our big money bin episode. I think, Austin, that the money bin is like a huge, it's a huge aspect of what people love about the Carl Barks stories, right? Oh, I mean, for sure. It it is just so absurd how much money Scrooge has. And from the very start, as we'll see in this story, which is, I believe it's the first one with the money bin. um, It it just plays such a pivotal role in that Scrooge-Donald relationship and also the Scrooge versus the Beagle Boys. I mean, it just provides so an abundance of really great plots I like how many ways can the Beagle Boys try to break in? You know, what can they send in to try to steal the coins, the the the, the bills? It, it's just one of those things that shows you like Barks was really one of the greatest. Yeah, for sure, it it is great. You know what? You know what the money bin does, Austin, is it gives him this like really iconic setting that he gets to anchor so many stories around, right? Because like. We spend a lot of time at Donald Duck's house, and I'm sure we can all recognize it. It's kind of a nondescript, typical 1950s, um, 40s, 60s suburban home. And and he gets some lovely drawings and some fun 10-page stories there. But it's it's not that iconic, right? But mm-hmm. the money bin is instantly recognizable. If you don't know Scrooge McDuck and you don't know Carl Barks, even people who are not casual fans are familiar with the money bin. It's a great metaphor for obscene wealth. And I, I've got to think too about how how funny it is, right? That like the idea of Scrooge McDuck and his money bin, if you transposed it to the real world, it's like you said, it's totally ridiculous. It's also like really offensive, right? That idea of like that much hoarding of wealth it's it's gross but but in the context of this comic it's great it's imaginative um and it it really fires the imagination when you revisit these early scrooge stories where barks is 
you know, establishing the character and what he's all about. It's just so absurd. He's just got so much money. And, you know, as we'll see, like when the big boys try to get in, you do feel for Scrooge. But there's a level where you can look at that and be like, I mean, you have so much money, man. <laughs> What's going to happen if they really steal it? Like what I really like about Only a Poor Old Man is that at the end, like Donald just kicks Scrooge in the back and he's just like, you'll you'll be nothing but a poor old man for the rest of your life. Like you have no priorities but money. I really like that about Scrooge's character. It's just it's so ridiculous, but it's just so rich with like stuff like that and what Barks could do in these, you know, early great fun temp pagers it's like there's so much story potential within that i think that's great yeah for sure um i like how you called it rich pun unintended i'm sure <laughs> and i mean the money bin is it it really is an icon you know i've seen i've seen some fun toys of the money bin before i've seen people i myself built it once in minecraft when i was goofing around trying to trying to learn about the video game that uh, my students were playing. It's got to be one of the most iconic parts of these stories. So let's see. Let's talk a little bit about the background of um, of the story. And we are going to cover Big Ben on Kill Motor Hill first because it is um, chronologically first. Austin, um, we were talking a little bit beforehand. Remind me, this is the this is the first appearance of the bin, right? I think we've got some other firsts in this one, or at least. Um, you know, sequentially significant appearances. Yeah, this is the very first uh, with the bin. I think in, in previous stories, uh, the money's just supposed to be in like a McDuck tower or like a building. The, Mc, the McDuck office building, I think I've seen a couple of times. Yeah, so that's very cool. But I mean, like you said, the bin just adds that much to the setting. Like that's very unique and and absurdly specific to the Scrooge character that it just makes this, you know, this really fun setting so memorable. So this is the first one with the bin and the second story with the Beagle Boys. The first one, of course, came out the month before, I believe, October 1951, uh, Terror of the Beagle Boys, which is also a really fun story. Yeah, we've got a great run of uh, just wildly inventive, imaginative 10 pagers here. All right, so a, a few words about Big Ben on Killmotor Hill. This one was, this was first printed in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories, number 135. It is a 10-pager. It is widely considered one of Carl Barks' greatest 10-pagers and was published on December of 1951 is its issue date. So... We are going to um, go ahead. So Big Ben on Killmotor Hill opens up with the nephews and Donald observing the iconic building. Huey, Dewey, and Louie are asking Donald what that big building is on Killmotor Hill. And, and Donald is telling them all about it. It's telling He's telling them that this is Uncle Scrooge's money bin. He refers to it as a new money bin. Um, we don't worry too much about the continuity of the money bin, right? Because we know it's it's been the McDuck office building. Um, but I think once we get to the later stories, we're treating it as though the money bin has just always been there. And Donald is going out of his way to build up how Uncle Scrooge has constructed this building to keep his money safe. He's cleared it so that there are no houses so that he can see burglars and he's made the walls and roof 10 feet thick. 
And as they arrive to their house, still talking about it, they hear the phone ring. And Austin, I think it's, I, I really like the name for the actual little piece of geography. Kilmotor Hill feels really evocative. Yeah. I always thought that was, that was like a, uh, that was just a cool name on Barks's part. I don't know like what that's referencing or what that really is just supposed to mean, but it just sounds cool, right? And while we're right. on the bin, I have to say, I really like that opening panel. The, the drawing of the bin just feels like very dimensional and serious. And if you look like <laughs> there's a dial on the side, like there would be on a regular safe, but like, right. how would anybody reach that? And like, what is its purpose? That, that is weird. Yeah, this first iteration of it is clearly meant to look like an oversized safe. And it doesn't have the iconic like dollar sign symbol that it's going to have later. But but otherwise, it looks pretty close. And my reading of the name is just, you know, it's obviously supposed to like refer to how steep the hill is, right? If you try to drive your drive your car up and it's going to kill the motor trying to get up to the top. That was my reading of it. Okay, interesting. I didn't think about it like that, but that, that sort of does, that seems very barks in a sense that I never really thought about it like that before. But yeah, that, that's pretty funny. Well, and, and in the, um, the later Life and Times stories that Don Rosa does, he'll have a neat little moment where he'll talk about the land back in the day um, being called Kill Mule Hill before the advent of the automobile. Awesome. So the next page, I really like this opening, by the way. It's just a very wholesome, uh, sweet way uh, to set up the story. So Donald picks up the phone and Scrooge wants the boys to come over and check out the bin. So they're all like, super happy and they start running over. Uh, but before they can go up, they have to each take a card and it's shaped like a square. And, and you know, the nephews asked Donald what they're doing. And it's to show Scrooge that they're square guys, which is like... 50s speak, which is interesting, but you know, it's, it's an odd gag, but it's, it's, I'm sure it's sort of a more topical thing that would have been funnier, uh, 70 years ago. Right. And if you're square, you're like, you're like level, you're on the level. You're not, not someone who's up to, up to funny business, but you're right. It's a good, it's a good pun that's dated kind of weirdly. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that you know, Barks is is praised because he's so timeless with his humor. But if you look into the stories, there are bits like that that only really apply to you know pre the, at the time what would have been present day terminology. But right. you know, it's all it's all in good fun. And you're right, you know, this he's he's giving the nephews these weird instructions, right? Because Donald has had to go out of his way to listen carefully to Scrooge's instructions. And as they go up the hill and. A um, approach the bin, they have to like zigzag around uh, Scrooge's minefield. They then have to give a password to get past the really vicious looking sulfuric acid filled moat. <laughs> it's it's a funny little password. It's, it's kind of a money riddle. You want to tell us what the money password is, Austin? Yeah, I really like this. Donald <laughs> speaks into the microphone. It's sort of just sitting there and he goes, 20 zillion, 40 jillion. What makes 11 nickels worth a dime a dozen and <laughs> the drawbridge just opens up and they just waltz in i i think that's really funny like i like these gags they're simply they're not laugh out loud but it's right. they're just funny in a sense that you recognize it as a gag and it's pretty cool i wish like it was always this complicated to get into the bin because it really provides this like rich material for gags to open up the story it really does austin and the last panel on this third page has got to be one of the most iconic uh barks panels i think of all time in that it like it did a lot of world building for how paranoid Scrooge is and protective of his money. Because once they enter the money bin, 
they just see this ridiculous array of cannons pointed at them. They have to walk under a portcullis. There are bear traps and fly paper and um, thumbtacks sticking up and other guns trained on <laughs> on him. And, and, and it's hilarious. It's super over the top. It's also really like inventive and it fires the imagination. I don't know if you were a kid who had like a fort or built any anything that you like really felt like you were protecting yourself against unseen enemies who never came. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. It does sort of invoke that like childish image. And I think Scrooge does project that sometimes where he's almost like a child, like he's so greedy and selfish and, and insecure. And if you've read a lot of like the Italian Scrooge stories, like they take that to the next level where sometimes Scrooge's butler will like nurse him if he's crying or like the Beagle Boy, like they take it to a really ridiculous stupid right. level there. But I like this in, in the Bark stories, you know, it is very inventive, like you said. Right. So the next page, uh, Scrooge shows up and we get another really awesome panel on the upper right. There's just so much overlapping action. We have electronic eyes. We have a, a dog on a chain. There's a microphone <laughs> listening. There's a random pair of eyes in the back and there's an alarm that's just going off. Um, so they walk into this really nice looking elevator and they over, there's, this is another really great panel. They overlook the bin and you get all the money. And of course there's like a tractor in there, which has always been like commonplace, but this early on, like that is just so ridiculous. It is awesome. And Donald's overlooking it and he's just like, what are you going to do with all the money? And I mean, it's, it's weird for Donald to ask him as if he's expecting him like, oh, I'm going to invest it in, in stocks and here's what I'm going to do with my money. Right. But like in later stories, it would just go without saying that he just wants to run through it and swim in it and burrow in it like a gopher. And that bottom right panel, there's a great pose of Scrooge frolicking through like it's like freshly fallen snow or something. Uh, in the Gladstone 2 album where they printed this story, they actually used that panel uh, as the cover. So yeah. I agree with everything you said here. And, and, you know, it's, it's so interesting to think this is the first time that we're seeing all of these over the top bin defenses that we're seeing this much money, right? Because with the McDuck office building, um, we've seen him like cramming money into overstuffed vaults, but this is like an order of magnitude more money than we've seen before. And it also occurs to me that like, I don't think Barks does a lot of this going forward, the over-the-top like bin defense stuff. Like he'll have stories where he's doing, you know, some other form of defensiveness, but there's never this like big gauntlet of all of these different defenses that I can think of. But I know that Don Rosa uses this as like a template in so many of his stories. So on the next page, you know, Uncle Scrooge is just reveling in his cash, having fun with it. And he asks Donald, he gets in a mention of, you know, people who spend their money don't know how to truly enjoy it. And while he's doing that, he asks Donald to take a look through one of the peepholes and see if there are any prowlers sneaking about. And uh, Donald is initially annoyed, but then he does immediately spot the Beagle Boys on a vacant lot right down the hill that are busily digging a hole on the perimeter of the money bin. And uh, Austin, what, what do you think about the look of the Beagles there? Yeah, uh, the the Beagle Boys are not having their best day. They look a little like pudgier than usual. Yeah. You know, this is the second story that Barks had drawn them in. So obviously they're going to look different than how they usually do. 
uh, they seem very happy and like yeah. they keep that eccentric vibe that we know them for. Uh, but later on, like they, I don't think they would be this goofy looking and like they wouldn't be right. pulling this sort of a job in, in broad daylight. But, you know, one of them smoking and has like his tongue out and the other one's just happily like measuring land. So, and they're all, they all have these very fat, like wide grins on their faces. So, and they look like much more dog-like than they would later. So Barks is still developing that character design. So it's a little peculiar, but I really like how they look here. Yeah, definitely a little more um, like ultimately how they are going to look like than that first story, The Terror of the Beagle Boys. Okay, so uh, now we're really into the meat of the story. Uh, we get that iconic Scrooge uh, freak out. He's sobbing over the Beagle Boys, the terrible Beagle Boys. And, you know, Donald's asking him what he's so worried about if he's got the bin so nicely kept and no one can break in and it turns out that scrooge was too cheap to put in a bottom so they can drain it to quote what scrooge says exactly yes. now the beagle boys are going to tunnel underneath and drain my money out like beans from a leaky bag so yeah that this sort of hones in on the uh the childish aspect of, i mean he's just sobbing uncontrolled he's on the floor and his hand is over his face and what I really find interesting is Donald is the one to take the uh, the heroic stand. He gets into his classic fighting pose and he goes, well, you won't stop them by crying. Come on, let's go down on them. Let's go down there and punch them on the nose, which I really like. And that gets Scrooge going. Uh, so they run out and onto the drawbridge and uh, Scrooge says something really funny when he's uh, walking across. If you want to read that off. Sure. We get one of the occasional references to how much money he actually has. And in this case, he says 500 triplicatillion, multiplicatillion, quadruplicatillion, centrifugalillion dollars and 16 cents being worth fighting for, or his name's not Scrooge McDuck. And of course, it's always and 16 cents. <laughs> Austin, I, I love this gag, right? Because this is like elemental Scrooge McDuck, where he's saying, yes, I made the walls 10 feet, 10 feet thick and the roof 10 feet thick. But to save money, I didn't put any bottom in the bin. It's that great, like penny wise, pound foolish, you know, that he's his cheapness is frequently going to be his undoing in these stories. Yeah. That, that's a really nice way of putting it. It's like, you know, for all his smarts, you would think he has the ability. And this, this is another thing that'll come up in the next story. I'll point it out when we get to it. But like the fact that he's so cheap, like is the re is part of his downfall a lot of the time. That's what I like in these early Beagle Boys stories. He keeps the bin so nicely kept, but there's always one flaw and it's because he didn't want to spend that extra money on it. And that's why they're able to get in. That's where we launched that story. So it's interesting. And it's like, Barks throws these bits in in the early stories that he didn't throw in later just because I guess the relationship, the setups were already established. But it's like, I really like this extra touch, you know, I mean, his greediness will get to him. And it does, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah. So um, the next page is another kind of classic setup that's going to be a gag a lot of the time where um, they're so determined to get down there and confront the Beagle Boys that they completely forget about his series of defenses and they run into the minefield and they get confronted by one of his automatic cannons and they have to flee 
back into the bin. And we've got this nice little like almost suspense movie set up here where it's it's indicated that he's made the bin so so defensible um, that if anyone did come in, they can't get out. And and so he's got this dilemma now where it's going to take a full week to unhook all the traps in order to get out and stop the beagles. So, you know, they're they're mulling over how they can, you know, get the Beagle Boys. And again, this is what I really like. I don't know if this was because uh, the 10 pages were always Donald's stories and not Scrooge's. So maybe I guess Donald had to play like a crucial role. But Donald's the critical thinker who comes up with the idea, right. um, which is you have to fill the bin with water and it won't hurt the money, but it'll drown the Beagle Boys out of their tunnel like rats. That's exactly what he says. And I mean, that that makes sense. But wouldn't water soil those bills? I, th right. That always seemed very weird to me, um, especially the way in the bottom, uh, Scrooge is very uh, forcefully shooting that hose over. We have a really nice splash panel at the bottom with the hose crossing the bin and some gold coins are shooting out. So anyway, they fill the bin. And they turn on the radio, and it turns out that tonight will be the coldest night in the history of Duckburg. And again, this, this relates back to Scrooge's selfishness, greediness, being part of his downfall. They freeze for the rest of the night because he doesn't have any sort of heating source because he refused to pay the gas bill. So they freeze overnight. And they hear a big crack. And it's because the water that they filled the bin with has frozen over to ice. They wake up in the morning. Duckburg is covered in snow. And the bin has cracked through the 10 foot, the 10 foot thick outer casing. And so the ducks crawl out from under like the rubbish. And the bin shoots down the hill onto the vacant lot where the Beagle Boys are hanging out. And, the, and we end the story on that great image of Scrooge chasing Donald with his cane because he had that stupid idea in the first place as the Beagle Boys are happily picking away with ice picks at the money. Yeah, it's, it's great. We've got some really fun imagery here. You know, that picture of the bin is a giant ice cube, basically. The ducks shivering around uh, whatever they can to burn. There's a funny offhand mention that Scrooge says he'd give a nickel for some, if he only had some dry money to burn. Um, <laughs> this is great. It feels almost like a cautionary fable or something, you know? And obviously, it's all going to be hand-waved away at the end. Somehow, Scrooge is going to get his money back. He's going to repair the bin. I wonder how many times we could track how, that he's, how he's had his bin completely destroyed <laughs> over the course of these stories. Yeah, that's that's definitely a cartoon or rather comic logic for you. But I mean, yeah. it's it's all in good fun. The next story, you know, the bin is back where it was. And I guess we can assume that he got the money back somehow, maybe by like the police who I figured like might as well step in here. I don't know why the bin sliding down next to the Beagle Boys makes it their property automatically. It's confusing, but I, I love that that final image with them just happily picking away and and Donald running off. Yeah, great story. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, you mentioned the cartoon or the comic book logic. We've definitely had other 
stories like like the famous only a poor old man where the money has to withstand its time in the water yeah that <laughs> that never made sense to me i always read that story and i'm like how foolproof is this really right i i, I don't know why scrooge always went to like water and hiding the money in that for that story and also like taking donald's idea here filling the bin with water so austin before we um before we switch to the next story let's kind of check in with the community and um, see where this story lands. This one is regarded as a classic, right? This gets a 7.5 on index, and that's good for a rank of 249 out of all of the 40-some thousand Disney stories that are voted for on index. Um, so, so Austin, this one ranks really highly. Um, this is very well remembered. If you take a look at it as, you know, part of the 10 pagers that Barks did. This one is just a little bit outside of the top 10. Um, it's roughly in the top, I think, 15 or 20 or so. There's there's only a few stories that land above this one as far as the 10 pagers go. And And you mentioned this is a favorite of yours. You know, we've certainly talked about it, but why does this one stand out for you so much? You know, it, there wasn't a ton like that I could, I, just upon first reading it, it it was just fantastic. You know, there's that great imagery. And it was I think it was one of the first Scrooge versus Beagle Boy stories I had read. And of course, when you're we're starting out with those, I mean, they're all just fantastic. But upon like further analysis, when I was looking into it for this recording, like there's just so much we, we already t touched on, but like character rich and the, the gags are funny. And there's just a lot of uniqueness to the story that like wouldn't make a return in Barks like canon again. Of course, like there would be aspects that people like Rosa would resurrect because Don Rosa is Don Rosa, and he's gonna pull out every little bit of classic Barks and make twenty thousand stories out of it and treat it but as, no, as gospel. Yeah, treat it as gospel exactly. But um, no, I always thought this one was just great because uh. Like I said, I really always like heroic Donald. Even if his plan doesn't work out, I like him taking a stand for himself and like I've got a great idea. And and even more so that like Scrooge goes with it. Again, it all fails, but at least he's trying. He might he might be incompetent, but he's a persistent, incompetent little duck, you know? Right. And he's very well meaning in this one. I think the reason this one stands out for a lot of fans is probably because more than almost almost any other story. It just does so much world building. And Barks was, he was not very consistent. You know, he loved to tell great stories. So he changed things around. He he made characters behave differently from story to story. If he needed someone to be a little bit more cowardly in one story and brave in another, that's fine by him. Um, and it's obviously fine by the readers. But it is nice to have some consistency. And, and uh, this really does establish a lot about the character. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree. Um, but I have to say, I think a lot of that inconsistency is sort of what makes his story so memorable is that they don't stick to that character formula, right? I don't remember who said this, so this isn't my original thought, but, but someone online said, Barks understood people are humans, and just from day to day, they'll change their motives or, you know, what they want to be or how they'll treat certain people or different things. Like, that's what I really like about the 10 pages. If you read them how I do, sort of chronologically through the original Dell books, like from month to month, Donald is a completely different character every time, you know, which I really like. I mean, there are, of course, sort of types of uh, forms of Donald that would 
come back again and again like you know the donald who thinks he can master a job that he's horrible at and the donald who's sort of like scrooge's lackey and the donald who's the the well-meaning uncle and but anyway there's just so much variety in those stories i really like that about the bark stories overall yeah the characters definitely uh, contain multitudes so i think the best way to transition into our next story the the round money bin is to just kind of acknowledge that over the years and over the stories, Scrooge is going to constantly be trying new ways and different ways to protect his money, right? It's his overriding obsession. It is his his joy and his curse because he has so much money and he keeps it so um, liquid, I guess, that that it's, it's always this tremendous pain in the butt for him to deal with. So one of the ways, one of the many times he's going to change the configuration of the bin is going to be in our next story, The Round Money Bin, which um, was quite a bit later. This one was published in July of 1953, a couple of years later. And, um, so, and, and so this one was a um, companion piece. This was the backup story to the famous horseradish story. So um, this is actually going to be one of our very first stories that we get to talk about in the one shots that's or in, in the podcast that's appeared in an issue of Uncle Scrooge because we are time jumping a little bit here as we do sometimes with the 10 page podcast. And so this one's been reprinted quite a few times Nine. We've had nine different printings of this one, including the original in the United States. And, um, you know, it's it's backing up a great story and it's a great story in its own right. Any any initial thoughts on this one? Uh, not a ton. I mean, it's it's another great twist on the Scrooge versus Beagle Boy uh, formula. I guess it is sort of worth pointing out. This was Barks's fourth Beagle Boy story. There was Terror of the Beagle Boys. Big Ben, uh, the famous Only a Poor Old Man, and then this one. And in between, there was an Italian story uh, by Guido Martina and Luciano Bataro that had the Beagle Boys. And um, there was also a Tony Strobel short uh, from another four-color book. So, yeah, these are still early Beagle Boys, but as we'll get into, they are more resembling their modern form than they were in Big Ben. Yeah, by quite a bit. And boy, those Italians, they didn't let any um they didn't let any moss grow before using these iconic characters, did they? Uh, definitely not. And uh, I actually think uh Guido Martina, who wrote that first Italian Beagle Boys story, uh was the one to translate a lot of that Barks material into Italian for the first time uh for the flagship Topolino title uh in the late 40s and early 50s. So he was definitely familiar with the Barks work. So he was probably very willing to jump right at it and throw those Beagle Boys in. That makes perfect sense. That's a that's a cool bit of info. Thanks for relating that. So this one, let's let's dive on into it. You know, this one opens up with Scrooge pacing in his money bin. I'm noticing that it's a little bit more like it's got a lot of variation. We've got a lot of piles of money here. It's really it's really nicely drawn, very artistic. Austin, what I really like here is that Scrooge is not responding to any external threat. Of it to his money, he's just pacing and generally worrying about it. And he's worried that his his old bin just isn't up to the task of keeping it safe anymore, that he needs some kind of a new stunt to keep the money safe. And he, he kind of thinks it out and he talks about how he keeps these coins just for sentiment. And so he could have them changed into greenbacks 
which of course had the advantage of saving a lot of space. And so he, he gets this great idea because that's going to make him a lot cheaper to guard. He goes to the bank and he asks the poor bank teller if there's a fee to change coins into greenbacks. Um, and when the when the teller working there says, no, there's not, how, how many dollars? He tells him, I don't know, but they measure three cubic acres. And we get a good little um, blanche response from the from the clerk. This this, this is a great opening, Austin. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really fantastic opening. Um, we were talking about the Italian stories earlier, and those have three tiered pages. Uh, so there's three rows of panels to work with, as opposed to Barks's four. So they're very like calm and like spacious with their setup. I read stuff like this, and it's like they would have literally taken ten pages alone to get to this point. I think what's really nice about Barks's stuff is he can condense it to the point where he gets right to it, right, and he can fit in this. 10-page story that honestly I think could have been a 32-pager if he wanted it to be. Like, he could have expanded it. He condenses that much into this little space. I think that's really great. Talented. Sure. Yeah, because this one is a little bit of a mini-adventure, right? There there are some 10-pagers that I I think are almost like mini adventure stories and some of them are more gag heavy. I really like that we get, again, a little bit of world building here. This is probably something that he kind of threw in idly, but it's really key to Barks to to Scrooge's character. What Barks says that he keeps all of these coins for sentiment, right? So it's more than just the money to him. And Rosa again is going to run with this idea later on and say that you know he keeps the coins that he has like specific memories that he keeps the coins and bills. So it, it's a great opener. As you said, it gets right into it. Take us on to the next page, which is which is three months later. <laughs> um, yeah, before I go on to that, though, I do want to – you mentioned that panel uh, where he keeps all the coins for sentiment. While we were talking about Martina's translations, I think in the original Italian printing, he calls himself like an old fool for keeping uh, the coins for sentimental reasons. So I guess he's just – I always just found that interesting in the Italian. They make him like a softy, but he's he's – He's annoyed to admit that he's a softie. You know, he's an old fool like that. I was like that. Right. So anyway, on the next page, he gets a call that they've changed the money from coins to bills. And they have a, he has a mere boxcar load of $10,000 bills, which is, of course, to Scrooge is, is you know, a mere boxcar of money is nothing. But a mere boxcar of, of $10,000 bills is insane. So we get a really nice uh, setup here with the nephews where Donald and his, you know, Huey, Dewey, and Louie are down fishing by the river uh, like they were in Big Top Bedlam, I think, also. And mm -hmm. these tanks are shooting by. Uncle Scrooge with an army of money trucks, as Donald puts it. And, you know, I always like these stories just go by in real time, right? I mean, besides that three-month skip, it's like we don't just skip right ahead to the next page where it's all in the bin, you know? Donald just is sitting by and, and the trucks are going by and, you know, he's just curious. He just wants to see what's going on. So him and the nephews start chasing after them, which I always thought was cool, like that childlike curiosity of just seeing a cool sight like that and just wanting to know what's going on yeah well said and you know what it's important that we see the money in motion right going to its new destination and being guarded because it's going to be like an important setup he's going to bookend the story for that and and of course 
he does mention Austin, a key thing on this page, about his uh, his first dime talking about sentiment. Oh, yeah. I actually, I actually didn't notice that. Um, He looks in his pocket and he sees that there's one coin he overlooked, which is uh the very first dime that he had ever earned. So, of course, nothing Barks does is uh just meaningless and will be thrown away. So that'll come into play later. But I always found it interesting that it wasn't kept behind glass, uh, which is, of course, right. something that came in later uh, with the magic of the spell stories that, you know, that plays a key part into. But um, I find it interesting he would just let that sit around. He wouldn't even know where it is, you know? Right. And this is just a case where Barks is going to, like, retroactively assign more importance to it. It's kind of just a sentimental throwaway right here. But this is the first mention of his number one dime. So this is a neat couple of couple of firsts that we've got here. And then Austin, I wanted to ask, do you know what the actual largest US currency denomination is? Um wow, it's a good question. I actually have no idea. I don't mean to put you on the spot. It's the ten thousand dollar bill. <laughs> it really is. That's that you know, he could have changed it into something higher. I wonder if Barks looked that up. It's not like a it's not a denomination that was really used very often. I think it was only used like bank to bank or something. I'll put you on the spot again. Do, do you know who who the person on the front of the $10,000 banknote is? <laughs> um, Probably like some, because pre- they discontinued that a while ago, didn't they? So it's yes. probably like some, some president from like the early 20th century. It is in fact Salmon P. Chase, the Secretary of the Treasury from 1861 to 1864. <laughs> I have no idea wow. why. So they do follow that currency onto the that money onto the next page. And that's where we get to see the actual round money bin of the title. They the ducks find that. Scrooge is unloading the money into an old water tank on a different hill called Park Hill, which is much less imposing than Kilmotor Hill. And um, Donald approaches Scrooge and he's like aghast that he would put his money in such an unsafe spot. And he starts to question him about it. And Scrooge has an answer for everything. He said um, that, you know, there's all this bare land for a half mile around. How could a burglar burglar get into this? without being seen and how could they get out um and so scrooge he, we wrap up this page with scrooge just puffing up with pride at his delightful plan and donald giving kind of this knowing look suspecting that something won't, won't turn out very well i'm i'm guessing he kind of rolls his eyes here <laughs> that's an interesting read on that because like that's to me a very classic bark smile where it, he he usually just has it when Donald's like very happy or just pleased with something. I never thought about it as him like rolling his eyes or almost like, well, you know, he's screwing himself over as he always does. But that's that's definitely an interesting take because that's totally it, it's definitely a possibility that that's how Barks intended it to read almost like like Donald could almost represent the reader in a way where like you're reading this and you're like Scrooge is like there's no way anyone could break in and and reading you're like of course everyone there's every way someone could try to break in here you know yeah I I see that being akin to him telling Scrooge at the end of poor old man you know if you've got if you've got happiness I'll take vanilla so uh take us take us on the next page and into the interior of the tank Awesome. So Scrooge invites the nephews into the bin and we see the cash being loaded in. And it's actually like a pretty big, you know, vast image. I really like this panel. And enter the Beagle Boys as they're being mentioned by Scrooge inside. 
they're standing beside and they're saying, one of them says to the other, I think we can tra- crack that tank, mates. And one goes, why crack it? Let's roll the whole tank away, which is like, when you think about it, it is kind of an obvious choice for a burglar just to sort of get the bin off of that stand and just have it roll down and then take care of it then. But anyway, the Beagle Boys looking very streamlined and yeah. not as Smelt. goofy. Yeah, not as goofy as they did like less than two years before in Big Bin. And we get a caption panel, thus the gauge of battle is flung, which I guess is supposed to relate to the weird image in that panel of like the glove and the sword, which doesn't really make sense. Or I always thought that was peculiar. But anyway, Scrooge and Donald are relaxing in the bin and the telephone guy, someone to check the phone is at the door. So he walks in. There's very clearly uh, a disguised beagle boy with black glasses over him. I love the um, disguised Beagle Boys, Austin. I, I love their super obvious disguises in all these stories. Yeah, it, it is sort of a classic Disney comics trope for, or just in cartoons and comics classic, in general, yeah. the super obvious disguise that fools everybody and, and is just so ridiculous. But And the little kids that are the readers get to feel, they get to feel a little bit smarter on the octave. <laughs> Yeah, they get to feel like they discovered the whole thing. But yeah, so we close the page with uh, a whole army of Beagle Boys in the back in in a pickup showing up to the guard and asking if they can go into the bin uh, because they're painters. For whatever reason, Scrooge needs his old water tank painted. And this is a really cool ruse that the Beagle Boys use onto this next page. Um, it's very clever. This is a classic trick, right? Where a couple of a couple of con artists will coordinate so that one of them sneaks in and is able to receive the phone call from the other one. And so the Beagle that's pretending to be the phone repairman claims to be waiting for a phone call to check the lines. And of course, it's from Scrooge's guard to confirm that the painters are on the up and up. And so that this beagle is able to pose as Scrooge and tell him, yes, it's okay for them to come in. A few thoughts here. One, I love it when the beagles are clever, right? I like how they alternate between being kind of dumb creatures that are have terrible judgment, but also they get these awesome plans off. And then like two, this is a real, this is a real scheme that is like used for fraud in the real world all the time this is like a classic confidence game Um, yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because like i read this the the first time i had read this a while back like my mind was blown because like you said it is genuinely like a very well thought out scheme and as we'll see like there's really nothing that can stop them from pulling the job off except for of course scrooge and, and his cunning genius as we'll see later on but it's like it's very interesting it's very well thought out like uh, you know, later on, um, the Beagle Boys were very goofy, and there would always be a hole in the plan that Scrooge would sniff out, and, and that would be sort of the climax of the story. But, like, this one, you, you really can't get out of it. I always like that about this one. Yeah, I like this scheme. It feels very earned. Um, so, of course, you know, once the painter leaves, once the telephone repairman leaves, um, the ducks spot that army of that army of what they don't know yet are Beagle Boys coming up the stairs. And uh, when Scrooge calls his guard to verify, Donald discovers that his, quote, honest telephone re- repairman has cut the wires. Yeah, that I mean, it. you know, I always get thinking when I read this one's like, how did the telephone repairman get by and, and Scrooge didn't get that call, you know? 
That's a tiny little thing that I always sure. just, it comes to mind. But anyway, on the next page, the Beagle Boys now, I guess, just, you know, with no disguise at all, are at the door and they're threatening to throw a tear gas bomb into the bin. And again, Scrooge's, you know, selfishness and, and greediness is causing his downfall. Donald asks him if he has a distress flag or an SOS rocket. And Scrooge didn't buy any because, as he says, distress signals cost money. You know, and he, he says he never dreamed he would need such things. But I would figure, like, with all this experience, he would expect someone to always be breaking in, especially the Beagle Boys. Right. So the, the Beagle Boys get in. They tie up the ducks. And they're sitting there thinking and... and <laughs> Donald is is sort of getting that I told you so moment and just sort of getting that devilish grin and Scrooge just, just goes, don't talk about it. I'm suffering. And he just sits there with a miserable face while the Beagle Boys are down and like below torching the stand that the, the money bin is on and they're very carefully coordinating this. Like I think it's super cool, you know. I mean if you look at this panel, like they're all very well coordinated. I mean there are five here, but I think there were like 12 in that pickup truck originally. So they have enough men to pull off a, a seriously complicated and well done job, which I always thought was super cool. Right. Yeah, and, and um, it's a neat little – essence of scrooge here on that page where um he's talking about how he's gonna outsmart him next time and donald points out that, again this is very like donald at the end of only a poor old man to me yeah you, tomorrow you'll outsmart them then they'll have to outsmart you again poor guys right because he's <laughs> locked in this never-ending cycle so you know austin the next couple of pages are really about the Beagles scheme, how it pans out, because they're able to, RX even has a little narrator's box that asks, can the Beagle Boys get away with this? The bin does indeed roll away, right? Just like from the title and the, and the, very, and the very presentation of the story, the reader secretly wants to see the bin rolling away. It rolls down the hill with the ducks getting scrambled completely inside. And uh, the Scrooge's guards, who I'm sure he's not paying that well, notice that it's gone missing. And the, quote, mighty decent painters are able to tell them that it rolled off. So they point out where it's rolled away. And uh, again, this is the Beagle Boys being really clever, right? Because if they're able to show themselves to be helpful, then it's going to decrease their suspicion. Yeah, I, I always like the, you know, they're, they're being very clever, like, you know, <laughs> pointing out to the guards where the bin was rolling away, even though they could have just totally pointed in the opposite direction and tried to throw them off. But anyway, on the next page, we have a really cool sequence where the Beagle Boys that are now undisguised and, and just sitting out there, not as painters, but now claiming to be house movers that Mr. McDuck hired to move the tank. So, you know, police think something's up. So the Beagle Boys call up to Scrooge and ask him to, to, you know, confirm that he asked them to move the tank. And there's a Beagle Boy holding Scrooge, a hand over his neck and a finger a pinching up his like tail feathers, which I always found really cool. Yeah. And the Beagle Boy threatens him, say yes, you old goat, or I'll dump a can of itch powder down your neck. So Scrooge, of course, has no choice, and he just me meekly shoots his head out the window and goes, yes. <laughs> so the guards are off. And, you know, like we've been saying, I mean, Scrooge says it himself here, like, the Beagle Boys have really pulled a perfect crime. Like, it, it is really genius in a way that they wouldn't be this smart in later stories, which I always thought was super cool here. Yeah, I, I really like the effective versions of the Beagle Boys. 
you know, like later on when um, when they're facing off in the Paul Bunyan machine, I like to see them a real match for Scrooge, I think. And um, that was another example, too, of the like comedic torture that Barks will use to, you know, not not be too edgy. So later on, you know, into the evening, the Beagle Boys are rolling the tank away, planning to take it to their hideout ranch in Outlaw Valley. And um, Scrooge bemoans that they're getting away with his entire fortune. And then he realizes, wait a minute, he still has his dime. And it's, of course, the first dime that he ever made. And that's going to get them free in no time. And Donald is scoffing because he's like, what are you going to do, bribe them with a dime? But he points out that the dime has, it's so old and it's been with him so long that it's worn as thin as a razor blade. And so one of the nephews is able to get it and use it to cut the ropes. And it's a great Scrooge moment because it's pointing out that like his sentimentality is actually a useful thing. It's actually a good thing. It's what is going to help him get his fortune back. So the, the ducks, except for Scrooge, all jump out and head off to contact the cops while Scrooge stays behind. I I do like, though, that they're just being thrown around and and Scrooge just comes up with this idea. They're just, you know, flipping around and Scrooge bangs his head when he gets the idea about the first time. If you think about that, like, if it was done as, like, a DuckTales episode or a film, like, that would just be a really fun sequence to just watch back because that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we're we're on the last page, right, 10th page, and Scrooge is going through the bin. He gets the money out of the window. He has it all pour out. Um, So he gets a hay baler from a farmer and starts bailing up the money, which I actually think is something he did in a later, much later story, uh, How Green Was My Lettuce, which is a really cool one. I've always liked that story. Um, So we get to the final page, and this is just an awesome panel with the like 80,000 cops in the bin and just just a beagle boy looking in and they all have this devilish grin <laughs> so yeah the beagle boys you know screams jeepers creepers so the boy the beagle the other beagle boys are sent back to jail in paddy wagons to which the, the cop remarks creepers jeepers and then scrooge drives up to the bank with his hay bales of money to which the teller exclaims creepers jeepers which i always like that touch at the end so status quo everything's gone back to normal a really nice story everything's wrapped up really nicely there at the end i i love that last page that little rule of three right barks is so good about following the comedic rule of three where you do something just three times right two times is not enough to make it funny four times would be too many three is the perfect number in comedy (laughs) And and it's it's great. Jeepers Creepers, it's full of cops. Creepers Jeepers, it's the Beagle Boys back again. Creepers Jeepers, not you again, because it's that same bank teller. <laughs> awesome. Very, very funny closer. Yeah, just, just another great story. Two fairly early Scrooge stories that do a lot of like a lot of great world building work in establishing what makes the money bin special and interesting. Um, and what's special about Scrooge himself. What do you think? How does this one stack up to like Big Ben on Kilmotor Hill? I think they both have their strengths. I mean, Donald, of course, was the uh, 
just by requirement of the Walt Disney flagship title. He was the marquee character on Big Ben, so I think Bark sort of had to use Donald more in that one because, of course, um, Round Money Bin was originally printed in the third Scrooge-centric book that Dell put out, which was, of course, with the Horseradish story. So that was originally a Scrooge marquee uh, story as opposed to a Donald one. So Scrooge definitely plays a bigger role in Round Money Bin, which I really like. Um, and I do like the literally the genius, unbreakable, you know, free of plot hole or you know holes in the plan thing that the Beagle Boys come up with in Round Money Bin. But I mean, you know, it's 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 like we said, there's some really nice drawing in in Big Ben also. So it's really hard to choose a favorite, but they are both two classics, if I have to say, really great stories. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. I. I'm not sure where I land. There's, I don't need to compare them, but they're both excellent. I do love the round money bin as a great Beagle Boys showcase. I think that I think it stands out in my mind a little bit more. But they are, they're both excellent. Um, the community loves both of them, right? This one, if you check it out on Index, is not ranked quite as high, but is still a very well regarded ten pager. It gets a 7.4 compared to Big Ben's 7.5. Um, and it's a bit lower down at 376 out of all the stories. Yeah, so it's outside of like the top 25 or so, but, but I'd probably put it in my personal ranking. I'd, I'd have it pretty high up there, I think. I definitely agree. And I don't know if you mentioned this very often, but like I do want to point out that on the index thing, it might not seem very big, you know, 200th story or 376 or whatever you said for around money bin, but that's out of 41,000, right? Across right. literally millions of readers of, of so many countries. So, I mean, 41,000 is, is a pretty large number. So for these to be both in the top 500, I think is pretty good. Right. So yeah, people yeah. definitely love this pair as, as I think we both do. Yeah. Top 500, as you said, because this, that ranks all of the creators. And um, when you're in the top 500, you're thinking probably about 30 to 40% of them are going to be Bark stories, something like that. So really highly um, within his whole catalog. Um, let's see. I think we did a pretty good job of covering these stories, Austin. I'm just curious if you have any other uh, money bin stories that are favorites of yours. Oh, yeah, definitely. There, there are a ton of great ones. What comes to mind immediately is The Money Well, which is also Barks. Uh, I think that's the first one with Grandpa Beagle, which is sort of an interesting character. Um, I always like that one. There's some great drawing in there. We were talking about Tricky Experiment before recording, which is an eight-pager mm -hmm. Barks did in the early 60s. Um, yeah, and another so that, another kind of round money bin one, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, where, that, that, that's right. Where he's able to, like, um, hook up some, some machinery and um, control his round money bin remotely and avoid the Beagle Boys to some pretty pretty comedic effect i do like that one a lot yeah that's a very I, funny one um there's also rodent's ransom which was something adapted by a bunch of different artists but that was actually uh, based off a storyline that bark submitted to disney in the mid 50s for a scrooge cartoon that has has never been made but uh that's actually a really funny story um gemstone printed a uh, two variants back in the day 
but basically a rat gets into Scrooge's bin and Scrooge wants to shoot him or, you know, get rid of him. But the, you know, the rat's holding on to a $10,000 bill. So Scrooge can't get rid of the rat because he's got the money, but he also can't keep the rat because he's going to keep eating the money. So he's got a cool dilemma. There's some great ways that he thinks through that. So that's a really fun one also. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, I'll throw in a mention of the two safe safe, the one where um, he coats his money with like an unbreakable material. That's a fun variation on it. Um, And then we've got the unsafe safe where he's going to sheath his money bin in. um, Oh, what's the name of the indestructible glass that Gyro creates? Oh, man, I can't remember. Well, anyway, that's another fun variation on the bin. What is the one where Magicka is like using those wands to cast all of the different like meteors and elements against the bin? That shows, that's another one that shows some great bin defenses by Barks. I like that a lot. That I think that is uh, for old dime's sake. Yeah. I could be wrong. No, you yeah, got Gladstone, it. Glad, that's actually coming up in uh, a Fanagraphics book of oversized Bark stories uh, in the fall. So I'm definitely going to get that. Nice. Yeah. And of course, Rosa has really run with the um, the bin safety elements, you know, in stories like, oh, cash flow. And I mean, you can almost name a random story because like a ton of them are about assaults on the money bin. Yeah. Cash flow is a great one. I do want to throw in two Italian stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, one we just got last year uh, by Luciano Bataro, Jumping Jupiter. Which, which is absolutely insane. It has to be seen to be believed. Nice. Uh, it's uh, these crazy aliens from Jupiter get in and they eat metal. So they're eating up all of Scrooge's coins and he gets Donald on the case and they've got to get the aliens out. And that's a crazy one. And there's also Romano Scarpa's uh, 50 Money Bins caper where uh, Donald comes up with the great idea to make 50 Money Bins on Kill Motor Hill and transfer the money from month to month. So the, the Beagle Boys have no idea which one it is, uh, you know, where the money's kept. So that's a really fun one. Uh, that's to hard to check, find. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That does sound fun. Um, speak of the Italians, there's, of course, uh, Marco Rota's Great Money Ocean. I like that one a lot. Oh, uh, yes. I forgot about that one. That is also fantastic. With the, there are a million the top, enormous one. Yeah. Yeah, yes, we could we could great. sit here all day and name um, great money bin stories because there are so many of them. The Beagle Boys versus the money bin. That's maybe one of Rose's uh, good classics that includes the blueprint of the money bin itself. I, I want to throw in one last one. This is another Romano Scarpa Italian one. Go for uh, it. Because my friend Joe Torsivia actually did the American script when we got it from IDW a couple of years ago. Nice. And that's Mummy Fearest, where Scrooge – and it's got Roker Duck in it, so that's a crazy one uh, – where Scrooge puts his money in a pyramid. And that is just off-the-wall, bonkers, fun – I think it's like mid-70s. So that is a fun one that I actually just read a couple months ago for the first time. Uh, not that hard to find from like – a bunch of different IDW printings if anyone out there wants to check that one out. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Austin. This has been a fun conversation. I love to revisit these 10-page ones. They're they're a lot they're all, they're almost as fun as getting to do the adventure stories, sometimes even better. I hope that readers will I hope that listeners will tell us what their favorite money bin story is and um, 
join us in the future as we get to do more of these. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Great conversation. Great fun. I mean, it doesn't get a lot better in comics in general than early 50s Carl Barks. So yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk about those. For sure. All right. Take care. All right. I'll see you.